Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. Okay, so for those of you that uh, joined us for the last episode, or last podcast, it was part one of this series of, of two episodes where I was speaking with a birth family that came into our adoption program. And in listening to them, they were so amazing and so brave and had such candor that I wanted to make sure that they were comfortable, which they said they were, uh, in sharing their story mm-hmm. to bring education and awareness to adoption and to the reasons why people choose adoption. I, I think there's so much question out there as to, you know, how can an adoptive family, how can a birth family do this? Why would, why, why are they, why would you quote unquote, give up your baby? Right. Right. And what the reason and rationale is behind it. Mm-hmm. And this birth father and this birth mother were able to take in my opinion, all these unanswered questions and summarize it into their beautiful story. And in listening to this birth father, because he's the primary talker in this, Mm -hmm. the birth mother does talk as well, and she did an amazing job, but he talks primarily throughout the podcast. In listening to him, I feel that he will continue to be very relatable Mm -hmm. to other birth fathers and for other uh, birth parents that are considering adoption. And so as we continue to listen to their story, I just continue to be amazed over and over again. And I do want to say that if you are listening to this episode without listening to the first one, I highly recommend you stop it right here, go back and listen to our last podcast so that you get this full interview. It is powerful, um, and again, it is enlightening. So It is. So let's go. Yeah, so around the time when I came to realization that I was messing up the neighborhood, is she was pregnant. Uh, she had already uh, given this child up for adoption that she already didn't want, and I was I was housing her at the time, and uh, I ran into one of my baby's mothers, and that's when she told us about the adoption agency because she was still using drugs at the time, and um, she was scared, but she, my my baby's mother was like, hey, it doesn't matter if, if she's doing drugs that protect her. So we end up meeting this this uh, a lawyer who ended up and she gives a baby up for adoption at the adoption agency. But it was it was uh, my baby's mom who was like, "Hey, don't worry about it," because she was doing the same thing and was still getting high and still was messing with the adoption agency and stuff like that. 
and then around a little bit later on she gets pregnant and like our lives were just like flipped upside down going crazy and doing all kind of wild stuff and it's just like uh, I felt like giving a child up for adoption is probably like one of the most beautiful things you could possibly do for yourself for the child for the family that can't have children and it's like it breaks the cycle of you know like obviously you could look at me and see that I'm like I'm not all there and that I used to be a gangbanger if you know me well enough you know that I used to be a boss drug dealer and everything in between anything that 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 was having to do with the streets and doing wrong I had my hands in it like literally any and everything I had my hands in it and I would go all the way from tattoos on them that say read right here no on the oh yeah from selling drugs but like, he used uh, to stand there like that all the time. Yeah, because I don't play that. It's like you could, have somebody, you could have somebody that was like a real good friend of yours and you, you give them credit and then they don't pay you and now you feel some type of way because he feels like he don't have to pay you. And now somebody that wants you to be a good friend of yours is not your enemy because you done messed him up or you sent somebody to kick in his door and go get your money from him and now you guys are beefing over money. So I just never give credit to anybody to alleviate all the, you know, extra stuff that can come along with it, you know? Yeah. So he used to stand there like this, cash only. When people would come to buy drugs from him, he'd just stand there with his arms crossed, cash only. Like, <laughs> I thought about being like a youth counselor and like getting these young kids that are in the neighborhood that think that they know what they're doing, they think they know that they're grown and they think that they, they know that they want to do with their life and I'll show them something old that everybody else sees, and then I'll show them something new, something that they don't know how to do and never even been taught how to do, and then show them the direction that they should be going with their life. Like the one that I've been working on is this young kid. Nobody gives a two. He's only 16 years old. He runs the streets. He gets high. And like I, at first, I wouldn't let nobody get, get give him drugs around me. He wasn't allowed to get high around me. I told him, if you try to get high in the room with me, I'm going to beat you up. You're going to have some respect for me. If you feel like you want to smoke in the room where I'm at, just say, hey, check it out, OG. Is it all right if I smoke? And I'll step out the room. But you're not going to smoke in the room with me. And he respected that, and he did it every time. At first, he He'll didn't. At first, he would look at him like... And I, I, I sat there, and I talked to the little boy. I was like, look, <laughs> it's just how he is. It's the same way he was with me. And to be honest with you, if when I was your age, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have, but I didn't. I didn't have it in my mind that it was bad for me, not until way later. But he's starting to get it here and there. I've been pushing him to go to Job Corps every day and pushing him to go to Job Corps every day. And even like some of my he little, young, my little homeboys and stuff like that, I make, I make them threaten him like, hey, he has a curfew now. He's not allowed to run around the streets. If any of my homeboys see him out on the streets, they'll beat him up because he's past curfew and make him go register in the school because if he don't, he's going to get beat up and he's afraid of it and he goes and does what he's supposed to. Eight o'clock, he's inside because he's not allowed to be outside past that. You're just a kid. You're no business being out here. And he'll stay in until the next, until the sun comes up and that's when you can go out. What if somebody had done that with you? I probably wouldn't be this way. Like, I was raised different. My dad was a gangbanger. He's from Southside 35th. I didn't meet him until I was like 10 years old because he killed some, he tried to kill somebody. Over a poncho. Over, over, sit this dude's ear from, sit this dude's throat from ear to ear, 
over a poncho. That he gave his mom and a guy picked, she had taken it off at a party and he picked it up and was wearing it. And so he thought that there was something going on between him, his mom and the dude and just walked up, so took the poncho and walked off. Me, it's like, I'm a product of rape. My mother and my father split ways after this. And then like along the time when like he catches her at another party and she's all drunk and he gets her and he's having sex with her and stab, rapes her, stabs her in the back. She got to cut on her back probably like, uh, probably about a good five inches from him breaking a beer bottle and stabbing it into the back of her and twisting it and then running it up her back. Why did he do that? Because he was so hurt on the fact that he, she, she had left him. You know, my dad's like like 100% true blue. I'm surprised he's not on, like on like a serial killer list because that's how bad he is. What does true blue mean? Like, um, it's as real as it gets. Somebody that likes blood. You know, he's like a murderer, like stone cold murderer. Don't get no worse than that. Is he in prison now? I don't know, no, no. And then my mother, she was a prostitute. She was a crackhead when I was growing up. I used to live in this, this hotel called The Sandman. And like my mother would trade me I'm for- I'm familiar drugs. with that, actually. I used to live in The Sandman Motel when I was a kid. Okay. And my mother would trade me for drugs to tricks and to homosexual men when I was just a kid. Five, six, and seven, those were the worst times in my life. Yeah. I will sit, we'll be sitting there playing around. I'll try to tickle him, and he, he like just automatically, like, don't. I don't like, like being pulled I don't like none of that, any of that stuff. There's a lot, of, I don't like being hugged because of it. Like, like, like I'm never, I've never been able to be, like, affectionate towards another individual. I can't, I can't, like, public display of affection. I can't do it now because of it. I can't be affectionate towards another person in, uh, like, in so many ways. Like, it, take, it takes re- a really long time for me to even be affectionate towards anybody. Like, for I just really started time. being affectionate towards her just recently. I and it's been, been I've been with her for three years. years. And she doesn't understand it. It's like I lived a hard life. Sometimes he'll and just, then, like, sit there and he'll, he'll be like this when I give him a hug. And I'm just like... And then like, uh, but I don't, I don't. When I got older, care. I'll, I'll still hug him. I'll still embrace him because I love him. Like, when I got older, my mother seen the, the like the type of person that I was and that I was always gonna be. What she thought I was always gonna be. And like, uh, she used to take me on these. I was on like 16, 17, 18, 19. She take me on these these things. She called them amazing adventures of a super hoe. And I would run the streets while my mom prostituted, and she would make me sell drugs. We'll go. I've been in every alley on Van Buren from the freeway, the I-17, all the way down up until like 24th Street in Van Buren, every single last alley. When he was 12, he went to go get dope for his mom one day, some crack for his mom and got and got shot in the head. I was, I was, I was 19. Oh, you were 19 at the time? I was 19 years old. It was around the time when Mark Goodell was running around and my mom, one of the very few people to ever escape him he ripped a big patch of my mom's hair out. She's like, she was like missing a big patch of hair from him ripping her hair out of her head. But my mother escaped him. She beat, he beat her up real bad, but she ends up, she fights back, gets him up off of him. It was the same night. And she comes back with the money that he had handed to her. And I go, she makes me go get her dope. And as I'm walking, there was this one, this one girl. I don't know why I would do it every time I would see her. I would either give her money or I'd give her dope, you know, try to help her out because she was out there hauling. And she set me up. She set me up to get robbed by this guy. This guy jumps out the bushes and he shoots me because I didn't want to give him what I had. He shot me in the head, point blank, with a nine millimeter, dropped me to the ground. But I was so high on charm at the time, 
I still got back up. Even though I couldn't see nothing and I couldn't really stand, he hits me, punches me in the face, and I still get back up. He just turned around and walked away. But I had a hole, like I had three hoodies and a beanie on. It was the wintertime. He knocked all three of my hoodies off, knocked my beanie off, knocked this big piece like right here like this, back all the way like this, and it came out the bottom part of my neck right here like this, on the bottom part. Blew this all back like this, and I just had just like pulled my, uh, my hoodie, one of my hoodies, and put it right here like this and got my beanie and put it on top of my head and walked home. You didn't go to the hospital? I took the bus to the hospital by myself because nobody wanted to go with me. They didn't know that I was shot in the head like that, and I didn't realize that I was shot. My uncle kept trying to tell me, but like it wasn't registering in my head because I was high on charm. What is that? It's um, like uh, PCP. So because I'm high on PCP, I'm not really, nothing's registering to me. He keeps telling me that you, you need to go to the hospital, dude. You got, it looks like you've been shot. So you got two holes, you know, you need to go. And I was like, well, somebody take me up there. Somebody take me up there. And I took the Route 24 bus all the way to McDowell and got on the McDowell bus and went to the one that's on 12th Street by myself, bleeding. And people are just looking at me because I'm covered in blood. And you can see that I had been shot and everybody's looking at me like, how are you even still standing? I get to the hospital and then that's when, when the doctor tells me that I had been shot, that's when it registered. And they just stitched me up and sent me on my way, gave me some Percocets and, and they like, uh, they gave me a morphine drip for a little while and they gave me three Percocets. I sat in the hospital for like, maybe like 12 hours and then they, made, they, they discharged me. Like, I lived a really, really rough life, and the last thing I ever want for any of my kids is to live the life that I live. And I know that this is probably, like, I, I can't just go and just give my child to anybody and think that they're going to live a good life. I can go somewhere like this and know for a fact that I could pick a family that's, that is going to do the right thing. And, and I know for a fact that my child's going to live a good life. I know they're going to be loved. I know they're going to be cared for. I know they're going to be clothed. I know they're going to be housed. I know they're going to get educated. I know they're probably gonna go to college. My my two kids that I gave up for adoption right now, um, one of them's in pageants, and the other one they want to put in pageants. My the one I just had, they want to have her put in pageants too. So, you guys are amazing. Thank you. I think you guys are amazing. You sit there and you work your whole life and make sure that these children have somewhere good to go and then make sure that the family that's putting the child up is taken care of. That's a beautiful thing to me. I respect you guys in so many ways. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I was I was telling him when we got... I was want to talk to you on the phone. Yeah, when I first called. Mm-hmm. When, I, when yeah. I first got to the motel and stuff like that after they did the, the intake mm-hmm. and all that and they gave us the hotel bag and the food box and stuff like that, I was sitting here looking at him and I was like, I was like, look at this. We, the last adoption agency we went to, we sat in a motel for a week. I was hungry the whole time. They didn't give me no money, no nothing to get, nothing to eat. And I was just sitting there hungry. The we we ended up going to $185 the- $185 an hour just to order an Uber. He was an adoption lawyer who owned an adoption agency and he would charge his lawyer fees to He's order an Uber. Profit. Or nonprofit. Yeah. We, we do this because we believe in it. I was yeah. adopted, and my husband is, um, he does the business side of it. And when my mom died um, three years ago, we started the Aftercare Foundation. So we help 
birth parents after you have the baby and everything's free. So we help with like job placement, um, resumes. They wouldn't even help me none. It's like, you know, I have a lot of kids and I kept telling them, man, it's like, you know, you think you think that that men don't get postpartum? Well, we do. Yes, they do. And they wouldn't help me with anything. Yes, they do. I couldn't get them to do anything for me. Oh, no, we'll pay for counseling. We'll pay for anything. Yeah. And see, that's the thing is, like, like I was sitting there, and I'm unpacking everything and, like, just looking, and I'm like, I'm, I looked over at him, and I was like, look at this. Like, they do, this is how they're supposed to do it. Like, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. I was like, this is just crazy. They, for the right reasons. They, yeah, you guys treated us so well. Like, you guys gave us food. Mm-hmm. So that we weren't sitting there hungry, gave us dishes and everything like that. Like we didn't have none of that stuff when we went when we were sitting at the motel over there. When I was hungry, we literally had to walk next door to the other motel and steal food. Your people, you're not just, just somebody to, to put eat. in a hotel. That's not. Yeah, I get it. I'm sitting there looking at it like. So far, I really like the way you guys do things. Like, And if there's ever something, you know, come talk to me. Because like I said, I'm one of the founders and the directors, so I will fix it. I don't, I, I don't let anybody disrespect birth parents because, like I said, my mom was one. And she wasn't respected. One so. of my uncles was, um, was adopted from when he was a baby. He was a, he was a, a, a preemie, though. And he was my Banji uh, was the one who adopted him. But he was so small that you could hold him in the palm of your hand and he wore doll clothes. Mm-hmm. And my aunt nursed him back to health. And, and he's still, he's living today because of her. If it wasn't for her, he'd be dead because his mother didn't care. She was going to flush him down the toilet. Adoption's a beautiful thing. Wow, that was incredible. Right. I, I don't even have words to say again. I'm speechless. Either. It was amazing. That was a fantastic interview and I actually have chills just thinking about it again and it's it's amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that with me and for our listeners as well. Oh, absolutely. I think that there are certain moments in your professional career and or lifetime mm-hmm. that you hear something and as Oprah used to coin it, the aha moment. Right. And there were so many aha moments throughout this um, And a interview. couple of oh my God moments too. There were yeah. many. And it was one of those things that, that as an adoption professional, I want everybody, whether they're in the adoption community or whether they are the gentleman walking down the street, I want everyone to hear it. Yeah. Because my hope is, is that it will not only increase uh, adoption awareness education, mm-hmm. but it will also increase compassion and unity right so you don't just look at somebody who is giving their child another chance as oh they're giving up their baby you think wait these are real people with real issues and real lives and they're making a brave choice so i again i i applaud them as i applaud every birth parent who makes the adoption choice Mm -hmm. and i think you know, they use that, they coin that, that other phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. I think it takes the world to come together and really stop with the stereotypes and stop with the preconceived notions and perceptions. And I think we just need to understand that we come from all walks of life. And if we put the judgment down and pick the compassion up, 
we're going to get a lot further. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. Or you can call our toll-free number 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and start it on creating an Arizona adoption plan or give you more information. You can check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption, written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me, Ron Rains. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thanks to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time for Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then.